Another week, another episode of Icy Takes. This is the Icy Takes podcast with Jeff and Big Dave. Jeff, once again, it's been another long seven days. One day I'll calculate how many minutes it's been since I've last talked to you. But how are you? Oh, not bad, Dave. It's been a hell of a week, um, both in the sports and the personal life. Uh, happy belated Father's Day to all the dads out there. Hopefully everybody got to spend some time with their dads. Um, personal shout out to my dad. It is also his birthday today. So happy birthday to the big Jeff Chris, the older one. Um, he had his birthday today. So I wanted to wish him a happy birthday on the podcast as well. There, so there you go. That's how you get the, that's how you get the plugs. And that's that's how a you cheap plug. Right there child. For him. Yep. Absolutely. So, <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, we have a ton of stuff to talk about today. We were making some this before the show and we have a ton, ton to talk about. Some we're going to argue about, some we're going to probably get a laugh from, and some we're going to agree on. So, you ready to dive in? Oh, I'm ready to dive in, just like a, just like a saltwater pool. There we go. I like that. I like yeah. that. So, what do you, what do you want to kick off with first? So, I mean, obviously, if you hear the the music going on, the, the talk bed music right now, you know immediately what we're about to jump into, which is. The St. Louis Blues are Stanley Cup champions. Jeff, how unlikely of a statement is that? I I was impressed, honestly, because when they lost game six, I thought they were done. I, I truly thought they were done. There was going to be no way that um, Boston was going to lose on home ice. And the way Boston came out in game seven, too, they really came out guns a-blazing. They got a ton of shots on net, but Jordan Biddington, Proved me wrong again and said, I'm going to stand tall here. And um, they got the big one. They got they got some timely goals, uh, especially you get that first goal on the road in game seven. It's always huge. And um, the Bruins never, were not really able to re- recover. And uh, the Blues kept going, coming at the at the Bruins. And they got one, two, three, and four. And then that was it. It was good night. And um, the St. Louis Blues are our Stanley Cup champions. They did everybody in America a favor of not giving Boston another title. So one thing I wanted to point out, you mentioned in the first period about Jordan Bennington, that period could have easily been eight, nothing like that was the severity of the saves that Jordan Bennington was making in that first period and how Boston was controlling that game. And they controlled the puck for most of the game, but could not find a way to get it past the rookie netminder. Yeah, and I mean, here the here's the shot breakdown for uh, for the game by period twelve uh, four Boston eleven six Boston, and then they uh, split the uh, third period ten ten with a thirty thirty three twenty advantage going to Boston in terms of shots. So they dominated the play, but um, there's that old saying: a goaltender can steal a game from you, and sure as hell Jordan Bennington who. I think maybe could have could have squeaked himself in for the Conn Smythe Trophy as the uh, playoff MVP, but um, there he was definitely getting some votes, especially after the performance he put on in uh, Game Seven. I mean, he's my Conn Smythe winner because when he even came into the league, that was the beginning of the turning point for this organization, and 
Jeff, I was I was going to include it in the show, but I'm not actually going to uh, throw it in there. I think whenever we were doing one of our pilot episodes, um, the the Blues had that 10 game winning streak, and I can always remember asking you this question: Do you think the Blues have a chance to run the West? And do you remember what your response was? I remember in February, I said no. I remember in April when we did our picks, I said no. And I remember after game six, I said, no, I think that the Cinderella story has ended. I've doubted this team the whole way through. Um, they proved me wrong. And I'll be the first one to admit when I'm wrong. But um, it was it was a hell of a run for that team because, I mean, th- their con Smythe winner played with cracked ribs since round one, which is the, the most incredible thing I've ever heard because – Anything with ribs or anything like that, you struggle to breathe. Every breath you take is is very painful. And for him to go out and still still play a regular shift and be as uh, big a co- contributor to the St. Louis Blues in their playoff run with an injury like that, that's absolutely incredible. So um, congratulations to uh, St. Louis. Yeah, um, some of the nicest people you, you'll ever meet. I don't know if you've ever been out there in uh, St. Louis, but the, – the people of that city are incredibly nice um, to all the tourists. And whether you're a fan of an opposing team or not, um, they treat you with a tremendous uh, hospitality out there. Yeah, I, I haven't had a chance to go out there yet. I do want to see uh, a baseball game out there for sure. But now I guess you got to add the Enterprise Center on there as well. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I mean, the fans really showed up and um, it seemed like there was a storyline for everything for that game seven. Um, it, 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 it was truly awesome to see. Cause it's always cool when, when a fan base gets their first one, right? Like it, it's just raw emotion, especially, um, with San Jose or St. Louis, um, getting their, their first cup after the long waits, the disappointments they've had and to get it against Boston where, you know, they kind of got thrown into the whole greatest hockey photo of all time of Bobby Orr flying through the air was done against the St. Louis Blues in a in a game four sweep by Boston in the 70s. Um, it's kind of crazy how the hockey world comes full circle. The St. Louis Blues went 0-12 in their prior three Stanley Cup appearances. I believe two of the losses were to Boston. Um, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think it was a three-peat. I can't tell you who won in 69. 69. I don't know. I, you know. I do not know. I, I, I'd probably guess the Canadians. I, I can look that up. Oh, right. I mean, it's a pretty good guess. But so <laughs> basically, it's funny how this team had originated uh, being a part of that huge expansion back in 68 when they doubled the amount of teams going from 6 to 12 and putting all the teams in that same division. You could easily say that they were the best of the worst, right? Yeah, pretty much. So, like, back then it was – you had the, your original six teams in one division and then the, uh, the the new expansion with the Penguins, the Blues, the Flyers, the North Stars, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then the expansion teams played in their division, the, uh, the original six on their side, and then the two sides met in the Stanley Cup final. Um, but, yeah, they, they were running into teams that were well-established, like Boston, like Montreal, who did win in 69, thanks – that's historian Jeff there for you. Um, <laughs> Thank you, Google. Uh, hey, I got it off the hop. I was just confirming. Okay. Um, 
But, but anyways, yeah, those teams were established that were the original six teams. They had deeper farm systems and everything like that. So um, it was kind of a tough break for St. Louis early on to to be facing those teams. But, um, yeah, t- throughout the 90s and everything, St. Louis has always been there in the playoffs and always found a way to get some disappointment. And um, for them to finally pull, pull this one out, um, you got got to feel good for the city of St. Louis. So one thing I did want to bring up about this entire story is the comeback effort of the entire team and the entire organization, which is, is this probably the greatest regular season comeback by any team, meaning that they were in almost in last place, if not, they were in last place in December or early part of January, and now they're Stanley Cup champions six months later. So would you agree that, or not that you would you agree? Do you believe that this is the greatest regular season comeback by any team? I would agree with you, but I'm going to change that paraphrase a little bit. I'll say it's the best comeback by a team that was not an eighth seed, because we've we've seen like the eighth seeds uh, in recent history that like just squeak into the playoffs and then they, they run the table and they end up winning the cup. Um, the fact that this team was able to to be in last place in January and they weren't a wild card. I think that's something people forget is they ended up being, I believe the third seed in their, in their division. So they, they got to play the, uh, the second best team in their division. So to not be a wild card and to have that, that concrete spot that they're not competing with another division for, for their playoff spot, um, I think is something that is incredibly overlooked. Uh, And, um, yeah, I, I would agree with you. As as far as turnarounds, it's got to be one of the best in league history. I mean, I was going to argue that the Pittsburgh Penguins, when they made the trade with uh, or change with Mike Johnson to uh, Mike Sullivan and the immediate impact that had, but I'm going to have to give it to the St. Louis Blues because this was almost a catastrophe. Was, wasn't it Mike Yo that was originally coaching this team at the beginning of the year? He was, yeah, and I was actually listening listening to another podcast uh, today at work, and they bit so for their last episode for the season per se, um, they did like all kinds of sound bites all throughout the year, um, that like media did or like clips from their, um, it was done by Sportsnet and Elliot Friedman, and they take all these clips that that they did throughout the year, and they um they got to the point where Mike Yo was you know on the hot seat per se. And his quote was that he's here to coach to win a Stanley Cup, not to save his job at the time. And it's kind of crazy, you know, full circle again, that the St. Louis Blues ended up winning the Stanley Cup and he didn't save his job. So in a sense, Mike, <laughs> Mike Joe kept his word here, right? That he, he kind of coached them to a Stanley Cup and didn't save his job. Right. No, he, he, did, he did what he could in the amount of games that he was able to coach there. But right. overall, overall, he didn't fulfill his entire promise. But maybe he's a bit of a savant looking into the future. Right, right. So, I mean, um, that's got to be always tough, too, for coaches like that to get let go and then to see their team go on and end up winning winning the Stanley Cup after the, you got fired. you got to kind of have an empty feeling there a little bit. So, let's – I want to also ask about a, a, a particular Bruins player that – kind of went under the radar with an injury. Um, it was uh, DeBrusque for the Bruins. Apparently, there's a story that came out. I don't know if you 
had seen this, though, if you don't if you don't know about this, I'll clarify. Apparently, Jake DeBrusque was battling concussion symptoms for two months, but never really told or had uh, expressed that to any of the uh, the staff members until after they were done with their Stanley Cup run. And now, two months later, not winning the Stanley Cup, it's been known that he did have concussion-like symptoms and was playing through them. So, kind of like a, a two-part question. Do you think that because of his, because of DeBrusque's ignorance, do you think there should be any punishment? Because this is a league that's been connected to concussion-like symptoms and everything else that, that goes after that. And do you think it was the wrong call by DeBrusque by not saying anything? I'm just amazed that he was able to get away with it because of the way that leagues are nowadays. You have the spotters up top and um, the medical staffs or anytime there's a big hit, you're pretty much guaranteed to be going down uh, the runway to the concussion room. So um, first off, the fact that he got he was able to get away with it is absolutely amazing. Um, as far as punishment, I mean... I feel like the team would get more of a punishment than he would, right? Because they didn't follow the protocol. And, um, you know, at some point a trainer didn't look at him and say, hey, we got to get you checked out here a little bit or or something. So I feel like if anybody's going to feel some wrath from anybody, it's going to be the uh, the Bruins organization, not necessarily the, uh, the player that got away with it. Right. And I agree with you with that. There has to be accountability on the player as well. But I think in the end, you're right. It should be more of a uh, a team punishment rather than rather than individual. So it it's not really, I guess, ignorance at that point. He he's out there trying to help his team and wants to be out there and doesn't want to let anything get in the way of that. But at the same time, look out for that health long term. Right. Exactly. And um, that's kind of that. Not to get off on a sidebar, but I was reading stuff on the uh, on the CBA that's going to be coming up here in the next year where the NHLPA and the owners are going to start meeting. And one of the things that's on the table is uh, long-term health coverage from, from the, uh, the NHL when players are done with their careers and everything. So it's kind of interesting that this all pops up again. So, I mean, do you have anything else for the Stanley Cup? Um, did we mention Con Smythe winner? Oh, we didn't mention the the actual winner. We mentioned yeah. my winner. Yeah, your winner, but yours was wrong. It was uh, Ryan O'Reilly. Congratulations. Uh, he had a hell of a cup final, too. Um, I think he scored in every game but one. Is that correct? I can look it up, but I, that I, sounds right. I think it was something like crazy like that, that he scored in like four or five straight. So um, definitely well-deserving. Um, you and me both said it, we thought it would come down to goaltenders. Um but the the media found its way to not give it to a goaltender, which I thought they would have talked themselves into um, uh, giving it to a goaltender with with how great both of them were um, throughout the playoffs and everything. But uh, Ryan O'Reilly, congratulations on the Conn Smythe uh, Trophy as a playoff MVP. Um, so can we go to, to kind of more fun stuff now? We got some trades, some signings to talk about. Yeah, who who'd have thunk that? right after the Stanley Cup, we'd actually have a full slate of NHL topics to discuss. Yeah, and I mean, teams, that, that's the awesome thing about the NHL too. Teams don't have to wait till a certain time to open up 
their um their checkbooks and start signing guys it it pretty much starts right one right when you're done so um the capitals and the philadelphia flyers made a trade um i believe it was made on friday if i'm wrong on that i don't care um Matt Niskanen from the Washington Capitals goes to Philadelphia for Rocco Gouda straight up. Um, Philadelphia also held uh, just over a million dollars of Rocco Gouda's contract, which is which was around thirty percent. Um, and basically, what was the idea behind this was to open up some cap room for the Capitals to turn around and give the money they saved to forward Carl Hagelin, who got a four-year. Uh, extension worth worth uh, eleven million dollars. Um, I guess he fit real well in Washington, from what I hear. Um, good forechecker. Everybody knows him well here in Pittsburgh. Um, what do you think of this contract? I really like the exchange of each of these players to to swap organizations like this. I think with the kind of like the the change of pace for the Capitals, which is a lot of speed up front. Um, I always clear. I always thought of Niskanen as being someone uh, as very offensive minded, and that might not really fit the exact scheme of what the Capitals are going for right now. I could be wrong, but for what they're getting out of Ratko Gudis, I think that it helps that to get a basically how I think of as a kind of like a punisher out there, knows how to really throw his body around and uh, give you some solid points and solid shifts out there um, with whoever he's paired with. Um, Matt Niskanen going to Philadelphia kind of hurts me, though. <laughs> just just for wearing those colors. Yeah. The one thing that I've been hearing, though, is that Matt Niskanen is going to work a lot with the young defenseman in Philadelphia. And... Um, He's probably going to be paired with one of their top two guys, whether it's Ivan Provorov or uh, Shane Gossespierre, and he's going to kind of mentor one of those guys um, throughout the NHL year and kind of get them to playing uh, for the cliche pro, a, a pros pros game. So um, I think that's a great fit for Philadelphia. Um, hate to see them get a great fit like that, um, but I think also with Washington getting Ratko Gudis, don't they essentially just double down on playing a hard heavy game? Basically, because um, you got you got Tom the, Wilson, you got Ratko Gudis, Alex Ovechkin likes to play that way. Um, it looks like Washington has set what their identity is going to be this year. It's going to be a hard, heavy team that's going to be tough to play against. Well, do you kind of put correlations here with how the Penguins went to that hard-hitting team after winning back to back, getting Ryan Reeves in that what I thought was an awful trade, um, and trying to change your identity to where you're just basically hitting everyone back and forth and not really focused on trying to beat the defense and getting the puck in the back of the net. Yeah. And I think, I think it depends how you're built around because if you look at like, like Washington, they, they have a lot of bigger guys, but they're still able to put the puck in the net where I don't think it was smart for Pittsburgh to go towards that direction. They kind of went against the way that they were built as being a, um, a smaller, faster team that just, you know, skates teams into the ground. Um, I, I've said a couple of times watching these playoffs that um, with St. Louis winning, it's, it's going to be interesting to see if the copycat league starts to go to a, uh, a heavier, more checking game that um, that St. Louis used to, to uh, 
to, to win the cup because, you know, these leagues seem to be as copycat as you can get. And um, you'd hate to see it because the Penguins did so much to make it a fast skill skill type league. And then everybody adapted to that. Now everybody's going to start going towards being a uh, heavier checking game now. So hopefully the league doesn't take a uh, step backwards. So one thing I do want to mention about the Flyers and how you could argue that they won the trade, but it is pretty split even between the two is with new head coach Elaine Vigneault, do you think this is the the rise of the Flyers now to finally make the playoffs and make it make another uh, trip to the Cup since, I believe, 2013? Or 2010, yeah, excuse me. I, I think my concern with them right now is who's going to score. Like, outside of your guys you're counting on, like Giroux, Voracek, um, I'll throw Nolan Patrick in there as well, and, and Sean Couturier. You know, you have those are probably going to be your top four scores. Who else is scoring like on their bottom six? Can you rely on your bottom six to to contribute and contribute on a consistent basis? Um, I think that's this the scary thing for the Flyers is you don't know where if that secondary scoring is going to be coming at a uh, consistent basis. But uh, so I'm not trying to say they're going to be Stanley Cup champions next year. They still have a long ways to go from that, but this is a team that you could argue that can make that playoff run now, get a top three spot at least in the, in um, the division and not have to go uh, through the wild card spot where you have to go through the division winner, because you also have, like you said, the young defenseman with uh, Goss's bear and Provorov that uh, Niskanen can really teach and um, mentor. And what was it? Goss's bear had a hell of a year with 65 points. uh, The fourth most among all of the NHL blue liners. So this is a, this is a, uh, one of the best, de- um, teams with defensemen, not maybe not the best defensive team, but you have some of the best defensemen in the league. Yeah. The, the only thing that also worries me too, not only like the goal scoring, but are they going to be able to overhop teams like Pittsburgh, like, like the Islanders, like Washington, like Columbus, you know, the metropolitan division, you have to, come out of the gate guns a blazing because everybody seems to be good and everybody seems to be getting getting better. New Jersey's going to get better this year because they got a top pick. The Rangers are going to get a top pick. Um, you figure they're going to probably make a big splash in free agency as well. Um, so I don't know if this trade is necessarily big enough to push the Flyers as, as a favorite in the Metropolitan. I still think they would be in, in kind of like the wild card contention area. So, uh, last thing before we move to the other trade, who do you think in the end will win this trade? I would say Matt Niskanen because I th- I, I have a feeling towards the uh, towards the end of the year or even even earlier that Rakitic just becomes a healthy scratch. I'm I'm gonna have to agree with you. I hate doing that, but yeah, I think the Flyers pulled off the the better trade here in the end, getting Niskanen and you know having. And still only having to pay thirty percent of Gudis's contract, I think that'll work out for him. Right, right, yeah. I, I just, I just don't see how Racco Gudis helps the Washington Capitals like Matt Niskanen helps the Philadelphia Flyers. So let's talk about the other trade. What do we got? Oh, we had a local one here, and and uh, I feel like the city of Pittsburgh, as far as the people you see on social media, a hundred percent had a big cheer for this one and I did I kind of did but it was more for the player we got back not the guy that we sent away 
the Penguins traded Ole Mata to Chicago for Dominic Cahoon and a fifth-round pick in this year's draft. Um, this one, I, I kind of expected Ole Mata to get traded at some point in the offseason just because um, he, he was the, the one guy that's kind of expendable. Um, I think it's mostly for the cap reasons. You save about, you know, just just under $4 million on your cap. You get a lot younger, and um, I just think that it, it was time for Ole Mata to move on. I don't think he necessarily fit the way the Penguins wanted to play. And, um, you know, the Penguins got a, a young, speedy forward that can put up some points, too. So, um, Dave, what do you think? I think the Penguins are coming back and finding a way on how to make these better trades. I think Jim Rutherford was, um, you could say, was getting a little sloppy with how he was handling the trades and sending everyone back and forth. I mean, I'm trying – who – wasn't there a player this year on the Penguins that didn't even – play the entire season with them? Uh, yeah, it was uh, Tanner Pearson. Yeah, exactly. Um, for for Unless that was supposed to be a strategic move, which I don't think it was, to be swinging players around like they're left and right, there, there almost seemed to be no direction with how the trades were being constructed. Now, with seeing what you're getting back in return from Chicago, there's a there's a plus to that. There's almost a like an address... Uh, a needed address that needed to be fixed and which is even even or even strengths scoring and giving and giving up goals even strengths giving up goals whatever it's called um dominic cahoon was a great even strength player for the chicago blackhawks last year where when he was on the ice the team was positive when they were when he was off the ice the team was negative so it just shows, and it's great for a defenseman to actually be able to be positive on the ice because that's when it, that's what it really comes down to the most. Also, one thing to point out, his scoring was mainly goals and primary assists. He wasn't really getting secondary assists too much, which, you know, points a point's a point, but he's out there creating the plays and making sure that they get completed. I think, like you said, Olimata kind of not fitting the scheme anymore this is what the penguins need right now is this change of pace so here's a here's a couple stats these come from jonathan bobbully he's a uh, beat writer for the uh pittsburgh tribune review um the first stat i'm gonna rattle off 35 of the 37 points cahoon had last year with the uh blackhawks um 35 of the 37 were even strength and 29 of those 35 where goals are first assists. So that tells you that he can make plays and he can make impactful plays. He's not making, like, for an example, he's not going to Jonathan Tate's, who's going to Patrick Kane, and then those two combine on a goal. It, it You know, he's making that pass to Jonathan Tate's, who's scoring on a pass from Cahoon. So that's that's the first thing that are that is encouraging. The second thing was when he was on the ice, even strength, Chicago outscored opponents, 54 to 44, making him a plus 10. When he wasn't on the ice, Chicago was outscored 177 to 158, making the team a minus 19 when he was not on the ice. So he's also a defensively responsible player as well, which I think I think the Penguins as a whole need needed a lot too on their wings. No, I mean you kind of 
clarify the stats that I was uh, referencing without me actually saying what the numbers were. Um, right. No, I just I just wanted to give give the audience a little bit of like a numbers kind of get it too. That right. um, like these aren't opinions; these are hard facts that came out of stats and is coming from the media that aren't true facts. And he, I mean, he was a rookie last year as well. Yeah, he he's an undrafted kid, so you know he he's working his butt off to get to where he's at right now. So um, I think it's I, I I like this move a lot. Um, and I also like that you saved a little bit of money on your cap too. So you kind of have some, some room to work with, with the uh, salary cap. Uh, I, so in the end, I'm just going to ask the question now and answer it. I think the Penguins obviously made the, obviously made the better deal heel here. You have Olimata who's been around the league for a long time. So you can even consider him like a, a grizzled vet. But I think with the, 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 um, but the youth, that you get with Cahoon, basically the same age, but you have one year under his belt, so you can almost say he has more years to come. I think that this is the step in the right direction for a Pittsburgh uh, Penguins team that's trying to get back into that back-to-back years. Yeah, and to say Ole Mata's a grizzled vet's kind of crazy considering he's 24 years old, too. Like, that's... I mean, you're not wrong with your with your analysis that, that he's been around forever, but... Yeah, the kid's only twenty four years old for God's sakes. But um but yeah, I, I, I like that they went younger, they went with more speed. It, it, if you look at a lot of the trades that Jim Rutherford has made within the last calendar year, a lot of it is getting younger. They're get trying to get rid of guys that are a little bit older. Um and the fact that this guy's still on an entry level contract is is just a big bonus as well. So all right, I think we have a little bit more in the NHL to talk about, Jeff. I heard, uh, we, I heard, I heard drinks are on this new Sharks defenseman, if I'm not correct. Yeah, we got our first big ticket signing for the offseason. Um, Eric Carlson is reported to sign an eight-year deal. Um, the financials have not been f- confirmed completely yet, but I, I have been reading that it's around $11 million per year. Um, making him the third highest paid player in the NHL behind Connor McDavid and Austin Matthews. Um, I didn't. I didn't think San Jose would get this this uh, deal done. I thought he would have hit the open market. So you look. You basically have the two highest paid defensemen in the NHL on the same team with Eric Carlson and Brett Burns, and I still don't think that really improved their chances as a team to get to the Stanley Cup finals because they were they were unable to make it last year. They were in the the what was it, the West Finals and after taking that two one lead it kind of all unraveled on them, which you could even argue that they were given the win in game three because of a terrible non call by the refs. But I mean so Eric Eric Carlson just got richer and now you have I think honestly, a a cluster on the Sharks with having Carlson and Burns both there long term. Uh, my question to you is, how do you think the the Sharks build around this? I think, hmm, I, th- I I think they're trying to go for it now, so they're they're going to try and keep the momentum that they had this year. Because this year, I I thought that they were getting really close. And they just kind of ran out of gas in the West Final. Um, 
but I think they're they're going to try and build around this now and then kind of deal with the two long-term contracts that they do have Burns and Carlson signed to. Um, I think after that, that's where they start kind of have to get creative with their cap issues and everything like that. Um, so I, I, I think it'll be interesting, but they're definitely in a, in a win now mode. Right. So the Sharks are almost like the blues where they've had all these great years of making the playoffs, but always finding a way to end up losing in those playoffs. Just like we mentioned about the St. Louis blues who were able to just cross that off the, the Sharks were, they came in around the late nineties in the NHL. Early nineties, uh, yeah, I believe it was ninety-two. Okay. Yeah, ninety-two. Ninety-two, yeah. And looking over uh the basically the rest of their uh their calves, I mean you you have Logan Couture out there making eight mil a year. You have Evander Kane making seven, Tomas Hurdle making five point six. I mean, this team is uh, pretty pretty much uh loaded with uh high end talent being paid a lot when it comes to that um, 70 mil um, per cap hit. So I'm just concerned to see how the, how the sharks manage themselves around um, maintaining a, a proper team with those high end guys. Yeah. That's, that's where you got to get creative with your amateur scouting and find your college, your college kids that become college free agents or, um, have very good uh, drafts where you can get guys that come in within the first two years of their entry-level deal. Um, th- there's definitely ways to do it. We saw the Penguins do it a lot with uh, with the college kids and the entry-level uh, kids down in Wilkes-Barre. So um, you're really going to have to get creative and um, make sure you're doing your due, due diligence um, as far as uh, your, your drafts and uh, your college free agents and stuff like that. So, um, I mean, it can be done, but it, it's just incredibly, incredibly difficult. And the last question I want to give you about the Sharks is, would you say in the next three years, will they win a cup? No. I think so they'll come. Cl- <laughs> I think they'll come close, but I do not think they'll win a Stanley Cup. Is that is come close make the Stanley Cup final? Uh, I would say they'll be in the West final two out of the three years. Okay. So, and like they were just in it this year. So that'd be at least three out of four and uh, four, four out of six with uh, losing uh, or four, four out of seven losing to the, the pens in the final in 2016. So, I mean, the, the Sharks team is one of the best regular season teams of all time in their short existence, but still nothing to, to prove afterwards. So, you know, hopefully that does change for them with how they're managing their team. But let's move over to the other signing, then I think we're done with hockey talk. The other signing, uh, is that the Carl Hagelin one? Yeah. Okay, yeah. I, I think we mentioned that already, but yeah, Carl Hagelin was at uh, four years, $11 million for the Capitals. Um, Capitals pretty much trading uh, Matt Neskinen to Philadelphia for Ratko Gudis, uh, clearing up the space for that contract. And I... And I think Carl Haglund's still an effective player any, anywhere he goes. Um, I don't really know his age off the top of my head right now. 30 years old. So there you go. And this man has a lot of Stanley Cup finals. Um, he's almost like a Stanley Cup veteran, wouldn't you say? 
Yeah, with the uh, with the Rangers, Pittsburgh. Um, who else did he win with? Because I think he went to like three out of four between the Rangers and and the Penguins. Did he not? Something like I that. Believe, I believe so. Wasn't he with the Kings before? Well, he was with the Kings, but that was last year before he got traded to Washington. Okay. But yeah, I mean, teams really value those guys that have been there and. Um, you know, have either won or been a part of a Stanley Cup final. So um, I think that's definitely where he gets the the four years. I thought the four years was a little bit too long, but, um, you know, the guy got paid, and um, we'll see how he fits in Washington. I, I If I were to guess, I would say he would get bought out within two years of that contract. Oh, there you go. Jeff putting on his prediction hat for uh, Carl Haglin. Yeah, so we'll uh, we'll see um, we'll we'll see what uh, what he what he does in Washington. Uh, he was a good fit there. Um, they just couldn't quite pull pull it off in the uh, playoffs this year. So um, yeah, you know, we'll see. I, I I just don't see how they can hang on to him that long um, and him still be effective because he really doesn't score goals. You're depending a lot on his legs for forechecking and. Um, I just don't see him sticking around too long. I think he's great for the penalty kill, and whenever he can find the back of the net, he's the most effective, obviously. That's any player. Um, I don't know if you're ever going to get HBK, Carl Haglin, but I think he can be uh, pretty damn effective if, when they – I'm going to say when they make the playoffs again. So we'll see how he's managed when they, when they get to the first round of the playoffs and go from there because he's uh, a great uh, – just a great playoff player yeah he, yeah he seems to always have put a put a benchmark in on the uh on the playoffs every year so um we'll see how it pans out for the washington capitals all right i think that about does it for hockey talk right that does i think it does all right so uh what what's first on the docket for baseball talk well do you want to talk about the four game series between the braves and pirates last week that sounds amazing. <laughs> well, it didn't start without any fireworks, I'll tell you that much, between Joe Musgrove and Josh Donaldson. Uh, do you want to explain this, or do you want me to? Um, I might get mad explaining it, so you can do it. All right, so what happened was uh, Joe Musgrove was pitching to Josh Donaldson in the first inning, and uh, Joe Musgrove brushed back Josh Donaldson, and I think he he just clipped like his jersey, like when you kind of stretch out your the jersey kind of comes out, and he just ticked the jersey a little bit, and Josh Donaldson, you know, put the bat down, was taken off the elbow guard, started walking up first base, and um, kind of looked towards Joe Musgrove, who was kind of staring him down a little bit, asked him what the blank are you looking at, and um, Joe Musgrove kept coming at him, he said. What are you looking at? And next thing you know, bench is clear, and the two guys never got a hold of each other. But um, turns out both Musgrove and Josh Donaldson were tossed and um, kind of had a war of words between them. And that's pretty much it. Both guys got tossed out of the game. So, And it really put both, at least the Pirates, in a bad spot that they had to go into their bullpen 19 pitches into the game. So, uh, Dave, what were your thoughts on that? I thought that Josh Donaldson was watching Joe Musgrove first after taking off his guard and putting down the bat. 
just looked at him for a little bit, then proceeded to go down first base. And then when Joe Musgrove gave him the look back, then it was the what the blank are you looking at and all that good stuff. Um, I know that Diaz was you know, trying to get in front of Josh Donaldson just in case, you know, you don't want your the opposing player swinging at your teammate first. So Diaz gets in front of him, and then whenever, I guess, they, they got pissed off at, at each other enough, that's when Donaldson kind of threw Diaz to the side, and that's when the bench is cleared. Um, I, I thought the... I thought the reasoning for the ejection of Joe Musgrove was pretty bush league. I don't know. I don't know if you had heard about that. Well, uh, just so we're on the same page, because I I do not think I heard the exact reason why he was tossed. Uh, it's because after um, Donaldson shoved Diaz to the side, and then that's when all the bench the bench is cleared and the players swarm the field. Musgrove took off his glove and his hat, which made him an aggressor. And that's what got him tossed from the game. Now, let me ask you this: If when this when this all goes down, if Diaz doesn't put his hands on Josh Donaldson, and I'm not saying he's right or wrong there, but if he just kind of walks up the line with Donaldson, I think that that whole skirmish is kind of like avoided. Uh, because, yeah, I, I can agree with you there. Because Donaldson did say when he was asked about it, I think either the next morning or after the game that. Um, that he, the one thing that aggravated him was that um, that Diaz did put his hands on him, and that's that's kind of like where things kind of get a little out of hand. Is who are you to be touching me when I'm not even being a threat here? I'm just asking him what the blank is he looking at. Right, but and if you're Diaz, I understand that I'd be I'd be mad if I was Donaldson too in that situation. But you're not going to hold back your own teammate. You're going to look to protect your teammate in case anything does break down. Right, and right. So you can almost say he's in the gray there. There's really no right or wrong answer to what Diaz did. Uh, yeah, I, like I said, I don't think what he did was like horribly wrong. I just think it kind of threw gasoline on the proverbial fire. Was it in a, it, in it, a way? It, I, he can still stay between Musgrove and Donaldson if he just walks up with Donaldson pretty much to first base. Just like, hey, just trying to keep this cool. You know, let's just get up to first base and then we don't have to worry about this. Because we can both agree this was just a, one of those BS staring matches of what are you looking at? And that's basically what they asked each other. It was, a big, it just, it was a big dick swinging match is all it was. Really? Yeah, you you could say that. But I just thought it was... I thought, it, and you might hate me for this, I thought it was the right call just for a one-game uh, suspension for Donaldson just because of how he did throw Diaz to the side like that. And obviously, if Diaz doesn't get in the middle, that Josh Donaldson doesn't get a suspension. So uh, the pirate fan in me says, kudos to you, Elias Diaz, way to go. But Josh Donaldson does still kind of get the, the short end of the stick there because of the position that Diaz put him in. But I thought that was a that was a right call by the MLB. I know he's appealing it. I don't know if they ever made came to a decision on that or whether he had to serve it or not. I don't know if you've heard anything. I haven't heard that. Uh, the last thing I heard was um, was that he had appealed it. I don't think they've come out with a uh, with a ruling yet. So so that basically explains game one. The I think that was the 
that would have been the starting point of the Pirates to get off that losing streak is a good start by Musgrove and against a, a you know a good Braves team. But 19 pitches in, you have to go to what is, I think, one of the worst bullpens in the league. And the Braves took full advantage of that, especially in the second inning with a grand slam by your boy, Ronald Acuna. What up? So I think the you can almost say that the Pirates were, weren't really given a chance after that because I thought the, the reasoning of that ejection for Musgrove was just total BS in my mind. Yeah, and and honestly, it just ended up turning into into an ump show, like what we see so many times in baseball nowadays. And because um, I was even confused too, like how can you toss? How, I, uh, honestly, if there's not that big skirmish, I don't even think either guy gets tossed. No, they don't. I think it's just one of those that you know, like we said, it's it's you know, who's the more macho guy coming out of this thing? And um, you know, maybe it was part of the the ump saying you know hey i'm just gonna throw water on this whole fire and just toss both both the guys out um unfortunately the pirates did get the the short end of the stick with it but um i guess that's just how it goes sometimes and i know i sound biased being a Braves fan but um that's kind of it's kind of a tough spot for pretty much all the parties involved no it is i I thought we were going to get into a much bigger fight here but we settled it like gentlemen we did Okay, so move on to the rest of the series, and it was all Braves. There was really nothing to uh, look at positively for the Pirates. I know that in the second inning, Chris Archer decided to throw batting practice of game two. Oh, my God. What? Did I hear, like, his post-game comments were, like, I threw too many pitches down the middle, and, like, the three home runs that they hit were, like, they were all, like, center-cut split. Like, they, like they, how— they How do you were not a, make that adjustment? They were basically mid-rare 24-ounce T-bone steak cut-ups. Like, I, I just, like, couldn't believe it. that like all Because who who all hit the home runs, at least in the first set of back-to-backs? Was it uh, – was it Sw- – it wasn't Swanson. I want to say it was Freeman. Freeman was and Marquez. It was the second inning, so Freeman's the cleanup hitter that he did get his – he did get one because Archer went one, two, three the first inning. So then, yeah. So then it probably would have been it would have had to have been uh, Donaldson. It would have been like Donaldson, Marcakis, or like Marcakis Riley, somewhere somewhere around there that it would have had to have been because Freddie's our number three hitter. But um, but like the guys he was throwing those to, like, did you not read the scouting report that you can't throw it there? I just think it's all being exposed on how much the the pirates really just wanted a name and not really the the numbers and the performance behind it when it came to the trade of Chris Archer last year and now it's being really exposed it's i don't know how you fix it uh there's been stories locally in Pittsburgh saying that i guess Searage and Archer are at odds right now like not agreeing with each other and um, Uncle Ray's had his great times in Pittsburgh, but you know you you still need to be able to have a uh, you need to be able to take the criticism because you're throwing tomatoes down the middle of the strike zone and they are being crushed everywhere. I was scared of every single pitch he threw after that inning. 
Yeah, and I mean, again, he got tattooed again for back-to-back home runs in another inning, too, so... Same um, inning. The same inning. Right, you're right. So, I mean, um, now, now my question to you is, and, and this might be tough for you to answer, um, for how much the Pirates did struggle in that series, um, how much do you contribute that to the Atlanta Braves being pretty much the hottest team in baseball? They've won nine out of their last ten for God's sake. So uh, it's tough for me to blame the part solely and just say, you know, the Braves are just on a run right now that um, that's almost unbelievable at this point. But um, that that's kind of like my question to somebody that's out, that doesn't have the red, white, and blue on, um, you know, I mean, the, up and down, they put a 15 on the Phillies yesterday for God's sake. So that's, I don't know if there's a better way I can ask that question, but um, so, you can. I I do agree that sometimes when you you can face a team at the wrong time, and really get your your asses kicked. I know the the Pirates played host of the Dodgers in uh, the last three of a six game homestand, and the Dodgers at that time were the best team in the league, and they showed it in Pittsburgh sweeping them and having comeback efforts. I believe in two of those games. I think with how competitive some of these games were against the Braves that you can't really fault um, the the Pirates too much in games that, you know, get out of hand. Like the first game where the Pirates were arguably in it towards the end, but down 10-5 to five and you make it a three-run game in the eighth and you can't score with those two runners in scoring position after that, it, those are games that you still maybe get out of reach too far, but then you have to win the next game or the next game after that and not lose it by, by one. You have a lead in the ninth inning, and I, I was taken aback because I fell asleep for the end of this game, and the way I heard the bullpen was managed in that, I believe, game two loss where it went into extra innings and Ozzie Albies hit that, I believe, our game-winning single or double in the 11th. Mm-hmm. The Pirates... Brought him Vasquez in the eighth to make sure that they don't give up the run, and they didn't. The Pirates take the lead in the top of the ninth inning. Vasquez gets pulled for Kyle Crick because Vasquez didn't pitch for five days, and I was just stunned because Clint Hurdle said after the game that they were they don't want uh, collateral damage from Vasquez, whatever the hell that means, and that they just brought in what is arguably. Uh, not arguably, not their closer. You could say that he's having a better season, but Vasquez is the man that you want there to close it out in the ninth because there's so much of a difference from getting the hold to getting the save, I believe. And that was the game that the Pirates should have won. So I'm not going to say that... I'm not going to give the credit to the Braves because they are the hottest team in the NL right now, but there needs to be accountability on the Pirates even when you go up against a hot team like that. And it was just mind-numbing to see how that game two ended for the Pirates, the game that they should have won. Yeah, and like you said, it seems to, to be like a epidemic around baseball, um, not only with bullpens underachieving, but it seems like managers are like over-managing the closing position, and um, that's like the most frustrating thing because I remember when uh, Craig Kimbrell was still in Atlanta and Freddie Gonzalez, who I still haven't forgiven for uh, for doing this, but... Um, 
he held Craig Kimbrell in the bullpen in the NLDS because he didn't want to give him a four-out save. And I, I remember watching the game just being like, me and Craig Kimbrell are doing the same thing right now when he should be on the mound throwing and getting us a four-out save to get a win in Dodger Stadium. But we're both watching the Braves right now because Freddie Gonzalez is an idiot. Freddie Gonzalez is probably my favorite Braves manager of all time. Because he pissed me off more than any Braves manager that's ever been around in my exactly. lifetime. Yep. Yep. <laughs> totally. So, anyway, so are uh, are we good with Braves Pirates? Can we move on? Yeah, Braves are good. Pirates suck. Let's move on. Okay. Uh, one more Braves note before we move on. Uh, the, uh, the Braves manager, Brian Snicker, came out in the media today and said that he's hoping Dallas Keuchel might be able to start Friday night against Washington. Um, they haven't committed to this yet, but uh, definitely some exciting news for Braves fans like myself. Um, hopefully our, our big stud pitcher is ready to go on uh, Friday and he can make his Braves debut against the division rival Nationals, who are eight and a half games out of first place as we enter today behind your first place Atlanta Braves. That's pretty neat. It is awesome. It's pretty cool. Um, okay, so moving on. Enough Braves talk. It was fun. Um are the 1927 Yankees back again? Oh man, it, it's been over. It's been over 90 years, but um, technology's gone a far, a long way. You can kind of bring people back to life now. Um, so yeah, I, I think I think you can say that the 1927 Yankees are back. I mean, this is absolutely crazy that uh, the lineup that they're projecting once they are all fully healthy and are ready to go. Listen to this lineup, and I'm going to clarify: this isn't the order that they're expecting Aaron Boone to put out. Um, Cause obviously you can kind of tweak a little bit. Uh, Aaron Hicks, Aaron judge, Gary Sanchez, Giancarlo Stanton, Luke Voigt, Edwin Encarnacion at DH, DD Gregorius, um, Glybar Torres. Did I get that Glybar. right? Glybar. Oh, I, I was close. I was close. And DJ LeMahieu. That is their projected nine that they'll be putting up to the plate in American League games. And when Encarnacion expected to be the DH. The fact that DJ LeMayhew is batting ninth in any lineup is almost all-star game lineup worthy. I mean, I, if, it, if it was based off how I listed those, and that's one through nine, and again, I, I did clarify that this this isn't the exact right. order that it could be tweaked or whatever. But to have two through three be Judge Sanchez Stanton, I'm locked in the bases loaded and letting Luke Voigt beat me. Hey, no, I, I'm I'm not even going to do that. Luke Voigt is, I think, one of the most underrated players on that Yankees squad. And I mean, well, maybe look not who underrated. he's surrounded by for God's sakes. No kidding, he's he's uh, underrated. And. And how many of those players are still injured? Um, I believe Judge and Stanton still have not made it to the lineup yet, and I don't think Agorius has either. Yeah, and I know that Clint Frazier would probably be on that lineup too, but he's hurt as well. Yeah, so I mean, I mean that's just unbelievable, that lineup that they can trot out. Um, it's the evil empire back all over again, right? Yeah, I mean, you have the you can say the 1927 Yankees, you can say the Evil Empire of the late 90s, early 2000 when they were just winning every title known to man. This this is almost an epidemic of how 
ungodly this lineup can be and probably will be. Um, you, you could you could even argue that they'll put up numbers like the Padres and Rockies did this past uh, four game set that they had in Colorado, where they averaged eleven runs per game per team in that series between the Padres and Rockies. The Yankees could maybe average eleven runs per game with that lineup for the rest of the season when they're all healthy. So entering tonight, these four names were not that we listed were not in have not been in the Yankee lineup. Judge, Stanton, Encarnacion, and Gregorius are all the big names that were like hurt, right? That we have talked about on the show previously. Well, Encarnacion just got traded from the Mariners right. to the Yankees. So right. you can't I, really I, I, well, no, clarify I'm, that. I'm, I'm making a point here. I am making a point here with, okay. with adding him to that list. So those four names were not in the Yankee lineup before tonight. They're still a first-place team without those names, and they're adding that to their lineup. Like, if, if you're not the Minnesota Twins, are you kind of shaking in your boots here a little bit? Well, I would say the Astros, too, because they don't really have to mess around with the Yankees as much, just like the Minnesota Twins. But if you're any team in the AL East, and – I mean, arguably, you have to be. The Rays were set up to be uh, a contending team for that division, even with the Yankees being hurt all over. And I don't see the Rays being able to keep up with that firepower that the Yankees have. I think the Red Sox put themselves in too much of a hole. They, they're still in it right now. I believe they're in third place the last time I checked. And, Five and a half out. Yeah, so, I mean, they even with that big hole at the beginning of the season, they're still clawing their way back, but... When the Yankees are, like you said, fully healthy, if they ever get to that point, this is the team to watch out for for the rest of the year. Um, I might even put down a futures bet. Who knows? Oh, futures bet. Hey, you're the, keeping it in the Bronx. You're not going over to Queens, are you? With the, with no, the no, no, of course on, not. Come on, I'm now. Not, I'm not looking to donate. We only we only bet on one team in the NL East on this podcast. Yeah, the Philadelphia Phillies. <laughs> oh, get the hell out of here. That 15-1 spanker. Hey, you're allowed to have those every once in a while. Right, right. So, uh, so yeah, so the Yankees, I mean, I just, they're, you have to figure they're going to be in the in top talks with uh, the Giants to get uh, Baumgartner, correct? They have to be. Um, right. And they haven't even had... They haven't even had Luis Severino pitch for this team yet. So you figure you add him, and then I, I'm just going to put it down right now. I don't want it to happen, but let's say hypothetically Madison Baumgartner goes to the Bronx. How do you not pen, pen them in for a world title? Well, I mean, like you told me about the Tampa Bay Lightning, that's why you got to play it out through the playoffs. But it's hard to just not project this team to be that World Series winner if they do make that trade. The only thing, too, that, that I could think of is any kind of a weakness. And I know people are going to be like, it's not a weakness when you're pulling balls off the uh, off the train tracks out, outside of Yankee Stadium. But there is still a good ton of strikeouts in that lineup, too. Well, obviously, when you have that much power, you're going to be swinging and missing at a lot of other pitches as well. But there's also players in that lineup that can hit for average set up the bases and get you multiple run home runs. Right. And that and I think that's that's gonna be the challenge for Aaron Boone is to surround 
these big names like Judge, like Sanchez, like Stan and Encarnacion, and kind of put spots for like where where am I going to put Didi Gregorius or DJ LeMahieu? Who's going to be hitting off, lead off here? Um, I think that's going to be his challenge: is trying to find guys who are still going to be able to be protected um, because of those big names around them. You could even put. I'm just BSing here right now. You could put Aaron Judge at the three spot, Stanton at the six spot, and then Cardinalcion at the nine spot, and put all your base runners in. Just kind of go every average. other. Yep. Yeah. Instead yep, of putting absolutely. possible three strikeouts back to back to back, you just kind of spread them out, get runners on base, let them clear it for you. Yep. There you go. There you go. So, seven so to one. Odds. We, seven to one odds. You like those for the Yankees? Absolutely. Oh, I take that a hundred percent. Yeah. So I might who, have to. Who find has play. higher? Who has better odds than them? No, no one. Uh, they're, they're the best right now. The Cubs are an Indians. I, I believe this was. Uh, I want to see when this article was posted. Um, oh wait, no, that was a while ago. So let me let me clarify that that's not the current odds. I was gonna say seven to one odds. I'm jumping on those a hundred percent. And then if they get mad bomb, forget it. <laughs> um, let's uh, let's move on to the next. I believe we have something else to talk about while I find these odds. We do. We have one more thing to talk about that was probably one of the most incredible things that I've ever watched. Um, so on, I believe Saturday night, the Cubs and the Dodgers were playing and we're in the ninth inning. Kenley Jansen's in first save. He's got one out and he's got a runner on second. That runner is Jason Hayward. And they're kind of having a little back and forth between each other. It looks like Hayward's able to see some of the signs for, um, Russell Martin to give, uh, Kenley Jensen. And obviously, I think uh, the Dodgers were up by two runs, so Hayward's run doesn't completely matter in this situation. So they they have a back and forth, and uh, one pitch uh, gets thrown is, is a pretty sick like two seamer that got um, got a, got the outside part of the plate, end up getting a strike. Um, Russell Martin puts out another set of signs. Um, Kenley Jensen doesn't like it because Jason Hayward's behind him. And so eventually they have a mound visit and uh, they end up going high heat, high fastball. And um, Jensen strikes out the batter that was, that was uh, at the plate. So then he gets the ball back from, from Russell Martin turns around to his infielders and says, I'm going to intentionally balk, which like who, who the hell would have ever thought to do that? to just intentionally balk for no reason. Well, his reasoning was with Jason Hayward being able to look at his signs, didn't want to deal with him. His run doesn't matter. So he, he balks on purpose, Hayward to third, and then they end up doing the due diligence. They get the final out. But Dave, have you ever seen anything like this before? Absolutely not. This is one of the most incredible uh, mind plays in all of baseball, because you could argue that baseball is you know 50 percent mental and the other half is physical just like the Yogi Berra kind of said I don't want to I don't think I quoted it exactly but um the fact that Kenley Jansen just turned around showing his infield hey I'm gonna do this because that was right after the strikeout to get to two outs that for him to just intentionally balk wave over to Hayward to go over to third just like he knew what he was doing and 
then get the strikeout of the next batter. It was just an incredible uh, sequence of, um, of you know, almost like strategy and execution of said strategy. Well, I think, too, to, like take, to be able to slow the game down that much and realize, hey, that runner at second doesn't matter. He's just a waste of my time at this point. So like, even if he does throw a pitch in the dirt and he gets away and he scores, you're still up a run. And you're one of the top closers in baseball, so he, you know he, he has that feeling of, he ain't touching me anyway, so let's just get him over to third. He can quit looking at our signs, and we can focus on the guy at the plate. And, uh, and to do it with two outs is even that much better because he was focused on getting that strikeout and making sure that Hayward didn't see the signs at the same time. Did that, moved him over, struck out the next dude. One of the best plays I've ever seen. Right, that was, I mean, that... That whole play is just, again, that's the part of, of sports in general, whether it's, uh, whether it's hockey sense, baseball sense, football sense, whatever. Um, when you see stuff like that and you're able to get it like broken down to you, because I had to watch a video on YouTube to like figure out everything that was going on in that whole situation. I sent it to you earlier. And uh, we, I could, you know what, I'll post it on, on our Twitter too for everybody to watch. Um, it's just like incredible to like have it all broken down and slowed everything down to understand like what everybody in that situation, whether it's the catcher, the pitcher, the base runner, like what everybody's thinking there. And you're like, wow, that was actually an incredibly smart play by Jensen and Russell Martin. Cause I'm sure they probably talked about it when Russell Martin went to the, uh, went to the mound and say, Hey, let's just get this guy. We'll, We'll move this guy over. We'll balk intentionally, and then we'll just focus on the uh, on the guy at the plate. So, Dodgers get the win over the Cubs, which always makes me happy when the uh, the Cubbies take raise the L. Um, <laughs> so the and the Dodgers also took three out of four against the Chicago Cubs. So a big series win for probably the NL favorite once again, the Los Angeles Dodgers. Um, anything else? No, I think that wraps up the show for us. I feel like we've been talking forever. Uh, I mean, a little bit, but I, I think the people enjoy that part. So let's, like uh, let's, wrap, it up with our, let's wrap it up with the uh, MVPs. Um, you want to start or you want me to do it? No, I'll go first. And I know everybody's like, oh, here's where Jeff picks a, an Atlanta Brave to be his MVP of the week. Well, you're wrong. You're wrong. It's going to be Kenley Jansen for what we just talked about. That is unbelievably awesome we talked about it enough that um kenley jensen again to think think ahead get the guy out of your way he's a pissant move on and then to go pimp a guy at the plate and just say yep you can go sit down to ball game kenley jensen just for outsmarting everybody you're the mvp of the week bud so i was gonna tell you before we end the show that the yankees are the third Highest favorite to win. Um, they're plus 500 right now with the Dodgers at plus 375 and the Astros at plus 350 because the Astros are basically setting the world on fire right now. Okay. Uh, where, so, where, where are my guys at? Uh, your Bravies are right, be- right below the Brewers at plus 1700. Plus 1700? Because you also have the Twins, Phillies, Rays, Sox, uh, Red Sox, I should say, Cubs and Brewers in front. And the Brewers and Braves were tied at 1,700. Not bad, not bad. Uh, if you're looking for odds on that, uh, Vegas Insider has 
The Braves are fifteen to one. The Yankees at eleven to two. Okay, this is I think off Bavada, or odd. This is Odd Shark. Okay, so that's what you said. What seventeen hundred? So that's a hundred to make seventeen hundred, correct? Seventeen to one. Okay. Yeah, so not okay. not too far off, but not this kind of goes in. This kind of goes into who my MVP of the week is, and I don't even have a name for him. He's I'm going to refer to him as St. Louis Blues fan who struck it rich after Game Seven. This man. Oh yeah, that guy. Yeah. This this man when the team was in last place, and I'm assuming after the the coaching switch to Baruby, said I'm going to put four hundred dollars down on this team to win the Stanley Cup at two hundred fifty to one odds. Any idea what that money is? No, I, I'm not doing that math. One hundred thousand dollars on a four hundred dollar bet. <laughs> yeah, uh, I've no, I've had a betting slip. My only one in Vegas where it, the payout was a hundred thousand, but it was also a fifteen team parlay in the NFL worth ten dollars, and oh. I think I hit like five of them. But having the possibility of going from ten to a hundred thousand, I was ready to go after that oh yeah so yeah, the, the, you probably never rooted for teams that you've you would have even dreamed to root for I, I had the patriots minus two and a half and they lost to the steelers oh boy uh uh but but anyway st louis blues fan who struck it rich after game seven is my my mvp uh to have the cojones to put that bet down when the team's in last place at 250 to one odds that's 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 the man yeah, that's that's awesome to to turn that around and it, to be your your favorite team or whatever too to just say you know what the hell with it let's let's see if we can turn this thing around and for it to come full circle. Congratulations to that guy. You want to put a bet down on Kansas City, uh, Baltimore, or Miami uh, for the World Series at plus two hundred thousand? Uh, I was actually looking at these um, <laughs> just to see if there's like one crazy one that you would consider throwing in there um i don't know like cleveland at 40 to 1 see if they squeak in a wild card and then who knows although they just put kluber on the 60 day il so i don't know if i can deal with that yeah um let's just do the colorado rockies at plus 8,000. they just blew a 13-6 lead to the padres at home so don't hate it i'm gonna go see them play the pirates later in uh in uh august Oh, well, there you weekend, go. So maybe we'll get a little scouting report on him and maybe throw down some bucks. All right. All right. I, I like hearing that. So, all right. That was our show. We had our MVPs. We had baseball talk and hockey talk. We'll be back next week, and hopefully we're better than this week because that's what we're looking to do is always improve, even if we're at our peak, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, by the way, 2 nothing Braves top two against the local New York Mets. Oh, well. Yeah, no wonder. It's the New York Mets. So, hey, man. Hey, so follow our uh, Twitter at Icy Takes, I C E Y Takes. Like our Facebook page at Icy Takes with Jeff and Big Dave. Follow us on the personal Twitters at Big underscore Dave 52. And at J Christ underscore 51. Just like our Lord and Savior. Amen. Like I said, we will be back next week. So stay icy out there, folks. See you, folks. Love you.